We're continuing our series in uh, fruitfulness on the front line, and uh, this week's topic is on work. Now, I think Pastor Jonathan asked me to preach on this topic because he thinks I have a lot of work experience, or maybe he thinks I'm a uh, good worker with a good reputation, or maybe he thinks I must have something really wise and insightful to say about the topic of work. Now, it's probably true that I do have a lot of work experience. Um, I've been working for almost 30 years as a software and systems engineer, building products for the Department of Defense. And it's probably also true that I do have a good reputation at work. Um, I've been at my current company for over 20 years. Uh, My company puts me on some of the most difficult projects because they think I can make a difference. And I have to admit, I think I have a really nice job. Uh, My work is really interesting. I get paid more than enough. It's safe and secure. I'm not worried about work. And I'm pretty cheery at work. If you see me at work sometimes, (laughs) people think I'm just this fun-loving guy and that I'm really having a great time. Um, These are some photos that I snuck out of work a couple months ago to show Pat what I was doing. But I'm not sure that I have something wise and insightful to say about work. Um, But because I've put my faith in Jesus Christ, because I'm a Christian, I think God's Word has some very wise and insightful things to say about work. And I'll tell you, as I prepared today's message, um, God's Word just opened up. It is so rich, it's so transforming. God's Word is so awesome. Um, I found that I've got a lot to learn about work as I dove into the Scriptures these last several weeks preparing. So today's sermon is as much for me as I hope it is for you all. So let's go to God in prayer and ask Him to open up the Scriptures to us. Father, Your Word is a light to our path. Would You use it now in the next 30 minutes? to teach us about you, to point us to Christ, and to transform our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I want to start with a basic um, biblical understanding of work. If we, don't, if we don't get grounded in what the Word says about work, the rest of the things that I'll have in today's message aren't going to make a lot of sense. Now, you might remember back in May, on May 22nd, Pastor Jonathan Uh, preached a sermon called Why Everything is Broken. He was preaching from the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And in it, he touched on what God had planned for work. Now, we won't have time to look up every verse uh, that's there. Um, So I'm going to ask you to really just kind of listen along instead of trying to keep up in your Bibles. If you're interested, you can go to our website, cornerstonewestford.com, and you can go and listen to Jonathan's sermon again. It's the May 22nd sermon. And uh, by tomorrow, you'll be able to download, I think, the notes from today's sermon if you're interested in in chasing down all these scripture references. Um, I've got three big points, and each one of those has got a bunch of little points. So we're going to go kind of fast. So the first thing for our basic biblical theology of work that I want us to look at is that, first of all, work is good, and it's part of God's character. When we looked in Genesis last May, 
the very first verse said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God was the first worker. The first thing we hear about him doing is creating. And later on, at the end of that chapter, it says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. He wasn't just a worker, he was a good worker. The things he made were good because they were from his heart. Later on, by the time God completes his creation, he says, by the seventh day, God had finished all the work that he had been doing. This is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. He had finished the work he'd been doing, and on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. We see that God's work was hard work. God was creating everything that we know out of nothing. And we know this hard work had goodness to it. The scriptures declare it. And we know that hard work is valuable, right? We tell people, we tell our kids, good job when they complete something difficult. We know that good work, that work has a goodness to it. There's other things we learned in, uh, in the Bible about basic understanding of work. The second is, is that uh, in Genesis we find out that work is one of God's good gifts to mankind. In Genesis 1.28, God says, God blessed them and said to them, this is to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Man's work was to be noble. It was to be royal. It was to be strong. Man was going to be in charge of all these creatures that God has created. We also found out that man's work was going to be nurturing and fulfilling. In chapter 2 of Genesis, Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Man's work was going to be satisfying. He was going to take care of the garden. Man's first job was as a gardener to take care of this fabulous creation that God had made. Man was going to further develop it, mature it. We also find out that man's work was going to be interesting and created. In Genesis 2.19, it says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Man was in charge of naming the animals that God had created. Imagine when he saw the first platypus. Wow, that's weird. I'm going to name that something really interesting. Man's work was going to be creative and interesting. We see that man was made for good, meaningful, interesting work. And we know that when we complete something good, especially when it was difficult, when it was creative... We feel good about it. The work is good because that's what we were made to do. But we find out the story continues. Work was made more difficult because of sin in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, when they obeyed the sinful suggestion of the serpent, of Satan, one of the consequences was a curse on work. This is in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 17. 
God says, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from the ground you were taken, for dust you are and to dust you'll return. So we see that work was made more difficult as a consequence of disobedience, as a consequence of sin. But there's good news, and it starts right there in Genesis. We find out that the work of Jesus was to rescue us from sin. Even in the midst of God's curse on work, God made a promise to Adam and Eve and said there was going to be one who would come who would defeat Satan. Someone who by his work would defeat sin, though in the process it would seem that they would get a fatal blow. That promise was made true in Jesus Christ. We didn't, uh, they didn't understand the promise right when it was given, but when Jesus came, when he lived a perfect sinless life, when he died on the cross for sins he didn't commit and then rose from the grave, he made true that promise to rescue mankind from sin. Jesus in his ministry on earth had a lot to say about work, and he talked about his own work. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man, talking about himself, he called himself the Son of Man, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' job was to work, to do a job, to save his people. That's good news about work. So all of that is background. We're now going to dive deeper and look at what is the meaning of work for us as believers, as Christians. And the point as we dive into this is that work has a God-centered meaning for believers. The first point underneath here is that work is God's blessing to the world. It's his way to bless the world. Now, I'm going to borrow some ideas that come from Martin Luther, one of the original Protestant reformers. In his commentary on the scriptures, as he was looking at the scriptures and he was going verse by verse and writing commentary, he developed amazing insights about what God is doing through work. One example is Psalm 145.15. It says, the eyes of all look to you, God, and you give them their food at the proper time. God gives us our food at the proper time. When Luther was looking at this verse, he was saying, how does God give us food? How do we get our food? Where does it come from? It says God gives us our food. And when Luther answered that question, well, his answer, if we were to apply it today in Westford, kind of went like this. You've got a farmer. He raises the wheat, the grain. He puts that grain on a truck and sends it to the mill, and the mill grinds it into flour, and then that flour goes to the baker, and the baker bakes it into bread, and that bread goes to a retailer like Market Basket or Whole Foods. And then from there, you buy the bread, and you... Bring it home, put it in your toaster, and you get toast, and at the end, you've got breakfast. And there's this chain of connection that's all required for you to get your toast in the morning. 
But yet it says God gives you your food. Here's another verse that Luther was looking at. This is Psalm 147, 13 and 14. God strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest wheat. Again, when Luther was looking at this verse, he says, wait, God strengthens our gates? He's providing us peace on our borders? But how is that really happening? Well, there's elected officials in our city. They're making laws. They're setting budgets. For us here in Westford and the surrounding towns, they're establishing budgets for the fire department and the police department. And it's through those agencies that we have safety in our community, in our towns. We've got employers in our communities and they are making employees and those employees are paying taxes and the government's collecting those taxes and from that they're building roads and they're building air traffic control systems and amazingly we have safe travel. But it says that God is providing for us. Do you see that chain? There's every job, every service, every product is part of a chain that's leading to a blessing to mankind. It's leading to your comfort and your safety. When Luther saw this connection, he was kind of blown away. He said, everyone's work, everyone's job, he called them vocations, they were part of God's big design to distribute blessing. Tim Keller is a pastor at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, and he founded this Center for Faith and Work. And uh, he explained this idea very clearly. I love the way he explained it so much that I'm going to put it up on the screen behind us. This is what he says. He's talking about what Luther understood. And so we see what Luther meant by God's vocation. Not only are the most modest jobs like plowing a field or digging a ditch the masks through which God cares for us, but so are the most basic social roles and tasks, such as voting, participating in public institutions, and being a father or a mother. He continues, he said, these are all God's callings. They're, oops, wow. <laughs> he said, these are all God's callings, all ways of doing God's work in the world all ways through which God distributes his gifts to us. Even the humblest farm girl is fulfilling God's calling. As Luther preached, God milks the cows through the vocation of the milkmaids. Now, did you hear that reference to masks beforehand? It's kind of confusing, but it's an amazing idea that Luther had. He said that everyone's job, our day-to-day activities are all masks that God is hiding behind as he's distributing blessings to us. He's not appearing clearly. He's behind that job. It's like he's wearing a mask. He's behind the scenes sending us blessings. He could have given you each your food. He could have given each of you food this morning by just having it appear on the table before you. He could have given you shelter just by just making it happen. But that's not how he does it. He does it through the chain of work of products that end up at your table, of building supplies and builders that build your apartment or your house. He uses people, he uses their jobs to provide these things and to bless you. God is hiding behind those jobs, 
But he's there. He's blessing you through the work of others. This is a radically different way to think about work. This is not the way we normally think about it. Work is God's way to use others to bless us. So I want to pause for a moment and really let this point sink in. To me, this this blew my mind. Work matters to God because through it, he is blessing the world. God is using work and the people who do it as an instrument for each of his blessings. You might think you're getting your daily bread at Market Basket, but God's the one who's working behind the scenes to get it to you. And he's using that long chain of people and their work to deliver that blessing. So if that's the case, how should we view our work? How should we think about it? Well, that gets us to the next little point here. And here we're going to finally get to today's text. Christians should work well for the Lord. So we're in Colossians 3, and here the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. It's a good church. They're doing okay. Um, He's worried about a little bit of heresy that's coming into the body there, but in general, he's very encouraging to them. Um, This is what he says, starting at verse 22. This is Colossians 3, 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Now, I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, but I have to stop for a moment and just get this slave issue off the table. There's a lot of folks who look at a verse like this and say, see, the Bible condones slavery. It's a bad book. See, Paul was talking about slaves. Now, we don't have enough time to get all the way into it, but if you research the slavery of Paul's time, it's a bit different than what we think of. If you look at Greco-Roman slavery, you'll see that it was evil, of course, but it wasn't the brutal slavery that's in our own nation's past. It wasn't based on race, it wasn't permanent, it wasn't based on kidnapping. Slaves did have rights, and it wasn't as brutal as what it became in our country during the slave trade. If you look in the context of this passage, this is one small part where Paul is talking to the entire household of Christian believers at Colossae. He's talking to wives, and to husbands, and to children, and to fathers, and to slaves, and to masters. He's not condoning slavery. Slavery really isn't the topic on his mind. He's talking about how should our household operate now that we are Christians? How should Christians live in their daily lives? In fact, Paul addresses the slaves before he addresses the masters. So he's kind of you know, giving them some dignity. And this is very different than what other writers of the time did. So let's put that objection about you know, the talk about slaves. Let's put this aside and let's get back to the verse. Colossians 3. 22. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Paul is teaching that the hardest workers of that day, the bondservants or the slaves, they should work even when no one's looking. They should do it with sincerity, revering God. Now, I said I had a pretty good job, and uh, one of the reasons is that I work with people, and I work for people that I like and respect, but not everyone is in this situation. 
You might have a terrible, abusive boss. Your work and your circumstances might make you feel that you're a slave, that you don't have any options, that you don't have any choices. If that's the case, this passage is really for you. This is your circumstance. Paul continues, Whatever you do, he's talking to the slaves, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Paul says we should do our work well sincerely because we're not doing it for our boss. We're doing it for the Lord. Now, why is that? Our, our work is for God because, as we said earlier, he's using that work to go bless others, right? He's our boss because he's got a purpose for every one of these jobs. So, of course, we should do it with excellence. I mean, of course, we should do it sincerely. We're instruments of God. We should do it with all our heart. And if we do that work well, we're going to be loving our neighbors by doing our job. Because God's going to use that work as part of the blessings that he's pouring out. But you know, it's so easy to cut corners. It's so easy to slack off, especially when no one is watching. I want to share one example of this that uh, happened to me this year. Many of you know that Andrew and I went on a hiking adventure in Siberia this summer. We prepared a whole lot, and we had a great time. We got to see God's work. We got to see God's fingerprints all over creation in a place that really was so remote. I'll show you just a couple of pictures, because to me, it's just so beautiful. We're there hiking in the hills, climbing up the mountains, beautiful rivers, rivers that seemed like they had never been touched, really and amazing structures where you felt like, I bet I'm only a handful of people that have ever seen this. God's work is so awesome. Now, as part of this hike, one of the things that we needed to do is we needed to reach the shore of the lake, Lake Baikal, on a certain day, and we were supposed to get picked up by a boat to take us to our next spot. Now, I didn't let Pat know about this, but I really was kind of worried about this boat. Um, was it going to come on time, or were we going to be stranded on the beach with no way of contacting anyone, just waiting for a rescue? The amazing thing is, when we got to the beach at the right time, the boat came. There it was. It had its little official flag on, and it came to the shore and picked us up to bring us to our next spot. This is going to be a story about God blessing me through someone else's work, right? Fortunately, the answer is no. Because when it came time to pay our captain, um, he charged us a price and gave us a receipt for a lower price. Our guide, Misha, our translator, he explained to us that he probably... The captain probably pocketed the difference. Maybe he shared a little bit with the rest of his crew. But it was a way to skim a little bit off the top. This boat ride was supposed to be a blessing. It got us to where we needed to go. But you know, all I can think about is that little extra money that was robbed from me. 
I would have been happy to tip it, but it was taken improperly. It ruins my memory of this boat ride. It was supposed to be a positive experience, but it's a negative. Now, lest I get too proud or any of you get too proud, this situation happens all the time. We cut corners all the time, don't we? Especially when our bosses aren't looking. We take stuff from work when the boss isn't looking. We come in late, we leave early. We don't give our best work. We grumble and complain. But the truth of the matter is, when we do those things, even if we don't see the outcome, we're robbing someone else of God's blessing. The work that was supposed to be done well, the work that was supposed to be done with excellence, had a plan, and we didn't fulfill it. Just like the captain robbed me of my good experience, we fail to love our neighbor when we don't work as for the Lord. So let's sum up this point, and let's focus on the positive. God matters to your work, and you should do it excellently in order to love your neighbors. When we look at God's command to love him and to love our neighbor, one of the ways to love our neighbor is to do our jobs because God is using those jobs to bless others. That's a biblical view of work. All right, so let's finish out the passage. The next point here is that all work, all jobs are part of God's blessing. Since work is part of God's way of blessing us and others, and when we do it, we're actually loving our neighbors, it turns out there's no distinction between the different jobs that get done. Verse 35 of chapter 3 of Colossians. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. It says that if you do something wrong, you'll, you'll get repaid for it. That means there's consequences when we don't do our work well. And it says there's no favoritism with God. It doesn't matter whether you're powerful or whether you're weak. There's a price to be paid if you do your work poorly. Continuing on in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. It says that not just slaves, but also the masters, the bosses, should do their work fairly. They should provide for their workers. They should provide for their slaves because ultimately everyone has got a master in heaven. He's the one who's orchestrating all these blessings through our jobs. So no matter what your job, whether you're the boss and someone else is the worker, or you're the worker and someone else is the boss, God wants you to use this work to bless others. And through that, to help fulfill the command to love your neighbor. Don't ever think that your well-paying job, your prestigious job, makes you better than someone who's in a lower job. That's a message that I've got to hear because I'm tempted to feel that way. Don't ever think that your ordinary job can't be used by God to bless others. It's all part of his design. God says there's no favoritism. The same is true in the church. You know, some people say... You know, church work, being a pastor, being a missionary, that's way more important than being an office administrator or working in the building trade, being a carpenter. During the Protestant Reformation, people like Martin, people like Martin Luther, John Calvin, the Reformers, 
That was one of the big deals that really led to the Reformation. They were trying to change that attitude that said the priests were up here and everyone else was down below. This is sacred work and the rest of the work is secular. The Reformers realized that's not what the Bible teaches. 1 Peter 2.9, we quote this verse a lot. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Our leaders quote this verse all the time because um, we think about how everyone needs to be involved in the ministry. It's not just for pastors. It's not just for leaders. We're all called to be priests. We're all called to be royal or kingly. We're all called to be like prophets to declare God's praises where we're at in our homes, at our jobs, whatever circumstance we're in. So this means that if you're not 100% happy with your job, regardless of whether you're a church worker or some other worker, God has you there for a purpose. It is part of his plan. It is part of your mission to declare his praises on your front line, at your work. God might call you to be a missionary in Haiti, but he might just be calling you to stay in your job and be a carpenter or be a nurse or a child care worker or whatever. Our Fruitfulness on the Frontline book puts it this way on this chapter. It says, The most mundane action can carry the fragrance of Christ. Whatever your job is, it carries the good smell, the good fragrance of Jesus. I'm going to share just one more example of how I saw this principle at work about all jobs being the source of blessing. This is Nina, our Russian guide's grandmother. They all, I always call them granny. All, all, Russian granny. all Russian grandmothers are called granny or babushka. Andrew and I met her as part of our trip in Siberia. Now, even though granny is very old... She's lost a leg to diabetes. She lives in a house with no running water, with no toilet. She makes the most awesome cherry jam. She gave Andrew and I each a liter of this jam to bring home with us to America. Have you ever seen a liter of jam? It's massive. It's extravagant. Here's a picture of it in my fridge last night. Almost gone. You know, I felt God's good blessing with every spoonful of jam that came out of that jar. Granny may not have realized it at the time, but when she made that jam earlier in the summer, what the world might see as just ordinary farm work, it was part of a daily blessing to me for the last 10 weeks Think of it, 10 weeks of daily blessings came out of that jar. I couldn't help but thank God every time I had a spoonful of that jam. In fact, it was so great for me that I wanted to share the jam with you. There's only a little bit left, but after service, in the table in the back, we've made some little yogurt parfaits, and if you get there early, you can have some of Granny's jam all the way from Siberia. I'd like you to know Granny. I'd like her to be famous. 
because what a blessing she's done. I want you to taste God's blessing in the jam. So the point is that any job, even making jam, can be used by God to distribute his blessings. That means that we should do our job tomorrow or on Monday just like Granny did hers. We should do it with excellence. We should love our neighbors. We should say in our jobs, today I'm serving the Lord, no matter what we're doing. Now, this new biblical perspective on work is great, but how do we do it? How do we get that ability to treat work that way? I'm just going to give you three quick points that I think are going to help. The first is, I want you to realize that God has already prepared you to do good work. This is a verse that gets quoted a lot. I think we, uh, we had it as part of the service. This is Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You've got some good works. They're in your account already. God has prepared them. They're in your future. You might not know what they are yet, but they've been designed especially for you. They're there. Think about it. There's a long account of good works just waiting to happen. It's there. It's part of a giant tapestry of God's blessings. But how are we going to get there? How are we going to do it? To do our work for the Lord, to do it with sincerity of heart, it might seem to be beyond what we can muster up, especially if we don't like our jobs. In our sinful flesh, it might be really hard to work for the Lord like that. It requires a new attitude. How are we going to get a new attitude about work? Well, again, in the book of Ephesians, Paul's, uh, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says that we can get a new attitude. Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Our natural desire is to cut corners. I know it's mine, but the Bible says there's a new self in Christ And we can put on that new self. It changes our mind. It changes our attitude. It makes us truly righteous. It makes us truly holy. But how are we going to get that new self? Where does it come from? Well, that new self is possible because Jesus did the ultimate work for us. The new self comes because Christ's righteousness is our righteousness when we put our faith in Jesus, when we put our faith in the good news. In God's eyes, we are already good workers. We're already holy. We're already righteous because Christ was a good worker. Christ was holy. Christ was righteous. Colossians 1.22 But now He, God, has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. You're not a bad worker. You are a good worker in Christ. 
The point of the message today, the point to me as I was researching and preparing for the sermon is Christians do good work because Jesus did the greatest work. He's the one who did it. The cross, it changes everything. If we get into the mindset that we can work hard so that God will bless us, we have missed the gospel. Christ did the work for us on Calvary. We're holy in God's eyes because when God looks at believers like you and me, he sees Christ. He sees Jesus' perfect life. You don't need to struggle to work hard out of guilt, out of obligation, or because someone is watching. You're free. It's one of the reasons why we sang, I'm set free today. Your loving Heavenly Father has given you the best gift ever. Eternal salvation with all the joys of heaven that are waiting for you. And we can, in freedom, respond to God's love. And we can respond to God's hard work. We can be in freedom. We can be joyful. We can be thankful. And yeah, we can work hard. We can put on the new attitude of work because for us believers, there's a new life in us. There's newness. It's slowly but surely making us into the workers that we ought to be. Christians do good work because Jesus did the greatest work. If you know Jesus, but you've forgotten about this new life inside you, you've got an assignment this week. I want you to invite Jesus into your work. Ask Jesus to make your work fresh and new and to help you see how it's a blessing to those around you. That your front line at work, God's placed you there to be a light, even in doing your job well with excellence. And it'll turn into a blessing. If you want this new biblical perspective on work, but you're not a believer, if you don't know Jesus Christ, you can start today. You can ask Jesus into your life, and he'll bring you an adventure of a lifetime better than Siberia. Better than Siberia. Talk to Pastor Jonathan or myself after the service, and we can tell you more about it. Don't let today pass you by. Christians do good work because Jesus did the greatest work. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the work of Christ that he did what we could not do. And because of that, we have freedom in you, that you see us as holy, you see us as righteous, and that you are at work through your Holy Spirit transforming us. You're making us into the workers that we ought to be. Help us, I pray, to see how we can be better workers for you, how we can let our light shine on our front lines, at home, wherever we are, that we can declare your praises as priests, as kings, as prophets, because of what Christ has done. Thank you for your word. It's so rich. It's so amazing. By your Holy Spirit, I ask that you would correct any of the mistakes that were preached here today from the sermon, and we do make it right. Make your word alive in us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into our hearts and our minds. Make this come alive in us. As we collect the offering, Lord, we pray that you would use what's collected to do good work in this community, in this nation, around the world, 
for the sake of the gospel. Bless those who are able to give. Bless what's given for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.